Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. Please pray with me. Dear God, we ask you, as we always do, to join us here in this place this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here among us. May my words now be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There are very few regrets that I have about being ordained in a Protestant church. Like, almost none. The reliance on Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, the five solas of the Reformation are in a very real way the greatest comforts of my life. And really the only thing about which I cast a longing eye toward the Catholic Church are the few jobs they have that are just not available to me. The ones that seem to only be open to Catholic priests. For instance, I can never be one of those miracle investigators. You know, the one of those, the special order of priests dispatched from the Vatican to determine if that statue of Mary in Tegucigalpa is crying real tears or if it's fake. The guy who goes to see if the face of Jesus that appeared on someone's grilled cheese sandwich is authentic. That sounds like a fun job. But you've got to be Catholic. And we Protestants don't really do that. And the whole being sent from the Vatican part lends authority to the whole deal. You make movies about Father Vincenzo from Rome. Not so much Pastor Nick from Kentucky. And then there's a job that might be even cooler. Saint Verification Officer. That's probably not the actual title. It's probably something like Cardinal so-and-so in charge of canonization. But I like Saint Verification Officer. That sounds like it comes with some aviator sunglasses. Uh, Anyway, that's the job that's sort of a combination historian and detective. When someone comes up for sainthood, you have to figure out if they really deserve it or not. Did they do the required three miracles? Were their lives as holy as they were cracked up to be? I like the idea of digging into Mother Teresa's past to see if she was really so great. But again, we Protestants don't really do that. For us, sainthood is different. And part of the reason for that is the text for this morning's sermon, the Beatitudes from Luke chapter 6, selected for All Saints Sunday, which we celebrate today. And as we'll see... According to the Bible, sainthood is not reserved for a special, extra-holy class of people. It is a designation that is carried by anyone who trusts in Christ to redeem them. In other words, saints are normal sinners like you and me, made new by Jesus' finished work. Now, this section of teaching in Luke 6, sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain, is parallel to Jesus' probably more well-known Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and following. Both begin with the Beatitudes, 
and move on to some intense moral teaching intended to show the gathered multitudes their need for a Savior. We got just a taste of that teaching at the end of our reading this morning when Jesus begins to command his followers to bless those who curse them, to pray for those who abuse them, to turn the other cheek to those who strike them. And that's the section of teaching that Jesus wraps up, at least in the On the Mount version of this sermon, with the announcement that his followers, if they want to be righteous on their own, must be perfect just as their Father in heaven is perfect. But I want to narrow our focus a little bit. We're not going to be talking about Jesus' moral teaching today. We're going to look just at these phrases that are called the Beatitudes, the blessings that Jesus pronounces at the beginning of this sermon. That word Beatitude just means blessing, and you can see why they're called that. Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you. Who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward will be great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. And he goes on with some corresponding woes. But like I said, we're going to keep our focus very narrow this morning just on those blessings, the Beatitudes. Jesus here is calling out one by one the painful things of human life. Poverty, hunger, sorrow, being hated by others, exclusion, defamation. And then he names them and pronounces his blessing on the sufferers. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that in that pronouncement of his blessing on these people, Jesus is categorizing them as saints. If a saint is someone who is blessed by God, these seem to be their characteristics. This is why we don't spend our time investigating saints to see whether or not they've performed miracles or lived lives worthy of the title. A saint is someone who in their suffering is blessed by Jesus. Today, like I said, is All Saints Sunday, and we celebrate all the saints who have gone before us. These are people, as St. Paul put it in our reading from Ephesians, who were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit and who have received the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. And because Jesus in his Beatitudes is describing saints, I think we have to reorient how we think about saints and sainthood. A saint, according to Christ, is poor, hungry, weeping, hated, excluded, and defamed. This is not usually how I think of a saint. I think of a saint as holy, set apart, uniquely blessed and worthy of honor, a name perhaps set apart from other names. But if we keep reading Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we'll see that he reserves that sort of talk for one person only. 
Because Paul does talk about saints in his letter to the Ephesians. But he uses that word in a really down-to-earth and almost boring way. I have heard, he says, of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. In other words, saints are just Christians. He prays that God will give the people wisdom so that among other things, they will know what are the riches of their inheritance among the saints. Again, saints here are just Christians. No Mother Teresa super saints. No Francis of Assisi. No miracles. No sense that saints are somehow unique or one of a kind. But there is one. There is one who is one of a kind. Someone, says Paul, who is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. This someone has had all things put under his feet and has been made head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Wow. Who could this be about? What saint can aspire to these heights? He asked sarcastically. Because, of course, the answer is Jesus. Jesus. God put this power, says Paul, to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And who has put on Christ? Those who have been baptized into his death and resurrection. That's what it means to be a saint. To be in that number, covered by the accomplishments of Christ. To have your suffering and sin taken up in him. Each week, during the prayers of the people, which we'll say in a moment, we mention those saints That have gone before us. Here's what we pray to God. We remember before you. All your servants who have departed this life. In your faith and fear. We ask you to give us grace. To follow their good example. That rejoicing in their fellowship. We may share with them. In your heavenly kingdom. Now it's worth saying at this point. That we are not praying to these people. These saints. We are instead as it says remembering them before God. And what we are doing is we are asking God for the grace required to follow their good example. But, and this is the key thing here, what example do we want to follow? What is it about them that we want to do? Are we praying that we might be as good as Mother Teresa or Francis of Assisi? That we might eventually have three miracles ascribed to us and be canonized by the church. That our face might one day appear on a grilled cheese sandwich. No. The saintly example that we aspire to is that of their faith and fear. Their fear. The acknowledgement that in the face of a holy God, they are revealed to be sinners profoundly and exclusively reliant on his mercy and their faith, their trust that in Christ their sins have been taken away and they have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. 
We are asking then for the grace to follow the example of the saints who are not paragons of perfect faith, but who are instead those who are aware of their sin and who are trusting in God for their salvation. In fact, we've had two perfect examples of sainthood, the kind of sainthood to which we should aspire in our readings these last two weeks. Two weeks ago, the example of the tax collector in Jesus' parable in Luke 18. The man who was so aware of his own sin that he could not even bring himself to look up to heaven, but begged God for mercy. He knew his sin, and he trusted God to be merciful. And then last week, the example of Zacchaeus from Luke chapter 19. This man who, having met the Lord Jesus, acknowledged his sin and believed that Jesus would redeem him, making him new. These are the saints of the church. And we, like them, pray for God to point us now and evermore toward Jesus, the one who is set apart, set apart to save. So when on All Saints Sunday, we remember those who have gone before us, let us Remember, not how good or bad they may have been, but the faith and fear with which they lived. Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the disciples who walked with the Lord. Paul, who persecuted the church before becoming its most prolific apostle. Augustine and Athanasius, early defenders of the faith. Luther, Calvin, Cranmer, men who recovered the truth of the gospel during a time of deep confusion. The list could go on and does go on and on. John, in Revelation 7, calls it a great multitude from every tongue, tribe, and nation in his vision of the great throne room of Almighty God. But of course, it's not just these long-ago heroes of the faith. It's also your own friends and family, your mother, your father, your grandparents, the people, whoever they were, who passed the faith on to you, who invited you to church, who told you about Jesus, who shared the truth with you, the bad news that you are a sinner, and the good news that you can trust in Jesus to save. We are thankful to all the saints, but we don't put them above their place. It is not their names that are of ultimate importance. It is the name to which they point that is above every name. Not one of those saints, blessed as they are, gather now around the throne of the Lord God and point to themselves. They all point to Jesus. In a few minutes, we're going to sing the hymn, The Church's One Foundation. And what will we sing? That the church's one foundation is her saints? No, of course not. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. And so John, back in Revelation, hears this gathered congregation of saints shouting, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever 
and ever. And what did God do with this power, this blessing? Well, as Paul told the Ephesians, God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All the saints point to Christ. He is the name above every name. He is the one set apart. And he is set apart to save. Blessed are the poor, the hungry, the sorrowful, the hated, the excluded, the defamed. Blessed are the sinners. Not because of their sin. Not even despite it. Blessed are the sinners. Blessed are you. Because your sin, every ounce of it, was laid on the shoulders of the one the only one to whom all the saints point, Jesus Christ, the one who could bear it. And bear it he has, making you, even you, a saint in his name. This is true today and always. Amen.